God's word. Large crowds were traveling with Jesus, and turning to them, he said, If anyone comes to me and does not hate father and mother, wife and child, brothers and sisters, yes, even life itself, such a person cannot be my disciple. And whoever does not carry their cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. Suppose one of you wants to build a tower. Won't you first sit down and estimate the cost to see if you have enough money to complete it? For if you lay the foundation and are not able to finish it, everyone who sees it will ridicule you, saying, This person began to build and wasn't able to finish. Or suppose a king is about to go to war against another king. Won't he first sit down and consider whether he is able, with 10,000 men, to oppose the one coming against him with 20,000? If he is not able, he will send a delegation, while the other will still is still a long way off and will ask for terms of in the same way, those of you who do not give up everything, you cannot be my disciples. Salt is good, but if it loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is fit neither for the soil nor for the manure pile. It is instead thrown out. Whoever has ears to hear this, let them hear. This is the word of the Lord. You open your Bible and you read across this ludicrous statement 
and they want to spit it out. Maybe you read it over one more time just to make sure that you're not completely crazy and that maybe you just missed something. But you read it through one more time and your face not going to talk to yourself all the time. This isn't for me. So much like taking that piece of sour candy and maybe like taking it in the sink to wash off that sour coating, you kind of want to take this thing with Jesus and maybe just, just cast it aside and get rid of it. Maybe go see some of the more easy to swallow things that he says. But kind of like this piece of sour hard candy, a hard piece of candy is something you just bite into right away because the candy is probably harder than your teeth. You might break your tooth if you're trying to chomp down the same right away. You need to take some time to let the candy savor in your mouth. You need to let it sit there. Once you get through a little bit of the sour, the sweet starts to come through. And again, this is like this hard saying of Jesus. It's not something you just chomp down onto you right away. It's like, oh, I did it. It's easy. No big deal. But it's something that needs to kind of sit in our minds. Something that we kind of need to wrestle with and think through. And really try to understand what exactly Jesus is saying in this really sour-sounding passage. So like that sour candy, there's a word in this first part of the statement. It says, if anyone comes to me and does not hate X, Y, and Z. That word hate is probably the key trigger word that makes you want to spit this whole thing out. But let's just take a moment or two to kind of unpack this word, this statement of hate. You know, what does Jesus mean when he says hate? Is he, is he really telling us that we need to come up to our families and show some sort of uh, active hostility against them, right? Casting us out. Maybe, maybe there's a few of you here who don't like your family, and so, you know, maybe like, I, this is easy, I get this. <laughs> <laughs> He talks about the love between a parent and a child. 
And he talks about a love of yourself. And what he's saying is that he wants, that Jesus wants and he offers a love that should be, he, let's say that again. He wants, he wants and offers a love that is so deep that it's going to make all those other loves in human relationships pale by comparison. He says, I want a love that is as real as the love you have for your spouse. I want a love as real as what you have for your child. I want a love that is as real as how much you love yourself. But I want and I offer a love that is so much more than that. You can probably remember back to like your fourth grade science classes, and this isn't like a uh, big scientific discovery, but the stars, they're actually out in the sky all day long, but the sun is so bright that it overpowers the stars. It's not that the sun like erases the stars from existence, but that the sun's brilliance is so great that it outshines the stars. That's the love of Jesus we're talking about. That's why he says to pay comparison. Hopefully by spending just a little bit of time we're trying to rub the sour off of that Maybe you've gotten through and maybe some of the sweetness of the candy started to come in. But maybe some of us are still trying to wonder why we're trying to fight through the sour in the first place. You know, what's, what's the point of really seeing that we have to have this obligation to this guy who's called us to love him in this crazy, unforeseen way? Like, what's the point? Why do we end up fighting through the sour in the first place? So let's talk about this for just a little bit. Jesus seems to be telling us that he has to be the number one priority in love. Everything else in life. He's it. A lot of people like to refer to Jesus as a good teacher. You will hear that phrase about Jesus right now. He's a good teacher. But when we think about good teachers, most of us would say a good teacher is going to be someone who's going to help us better ourselves. They're going to do something to help us become a better person. But Jesus isn't really good teacher. You know, when we think about a good teacher, we think of someone who is helping us become like Rocky, you know, someone who's pushing us to training, at the end of the day, we're running up the stairs, fists are pumping, eye of the tiger, gonna fly, is playing in the background. That's that's the sort of good teacher we want pushing us on. And you see that all over the place you know, in our human existence. So the, the four noble truths of Buddhism are going to help you reach self-enlightenment. Um Classic Christian televangelist is going to say, follow these seven easy steps and seven easy payments, and you will receive a better life. Uh, in philosophy, the, uh, the deep philosopher Hegel said, if you follow my dialectic scheme, you can reach self-actualization. And I, I just saw this magazine, the, the house I'm saying, that magazine was called The Real Simple, and it said, be happier this year. Nine surprising strategies to get you there. Which I thought was ironic for a simple magazine of <laughs> But our good teacher, Jesus, doesn't do that. He creates a division right down the middle of the family. And then even worse than that, and maybe more disturbing, he says, I'm the center of this, not you. He doesn't really seem to care if we become a better person or not, but he's just saying that he wants all the attention. Is this more of a sour than, than you really want to deal with? You know, should we just spit this whole thing out right now and call it quits? 
because I hope that you can recognize the names um, John Sutter and James Marshall. Uh, Sutter Sport is literally right across the street. I hope you can connect with them because I'm from Iowa originally, so I did a little research to make this happen. In 1839, John Sutter comes to California because he wants to establish an agricultural enterprise. So his, his big goal is to start this big farming operation, and he needs to build a mill to uh, grind the flour, and he can sell his flour to all these people moving in. So he hires a man by the name of James Marshall to take on this uh, big project. And he goes, go away, James Marshall is building this mill, and he writes it for us, gold. And in the years that follow, you have the California gold and the whole thing explodes. Well, James Marshall and John Sutton both spend the rest of their lives chasing obsessively after gold, trying to find another gold strike. But it was completely futile. In the end, it got them nowhere. Sutter wrote in his diary, he said, by the sudden discovery of the gold, all of my great plans were destroyed. If I had succeeded just a few years before gold was discovered, I would have been the richest citizen of the Pacific shore. Instead of being rich, I'm ruined. This is, this is later on in his life. After an entire lifetime of trying to chase down gold and fortune and, and, and having to die in poverty with no one, he still didn't see that his priorities were off base. He was obsessively chasing this, but his priorities wasn't where it needed to be. What things in your life would you say give you definition and purpose to who you really are? Maybe you're a person who does a lot of wonderful nonprofit work, or you do a lot of volunteering for um, kids who come from abusive homes. Maybe you have a fantastic spouse and wonderful children who are your lifeline, they're your support, they define who you are. Maybe you have a well-paying job and you can buy nice little toys with that sort of thing. Or maybe you like to work out because you like the way your body does as you continually push your body through the you know, for what I realized this week is my obsession was trying to put together this message to give me definition as a pastor. I wanted to do this, and I wanted to make this really good. So I obsessively chased this thing all week. But the question is, are these things that we obsessively chat that we're obsessively chasing, are they really giving us fulfillment? Let's take a step away from this thing. Maybe you do a lot of volunteering work, but does that work kind of leave you with the burden on your shoulders every day? Does your family who you love deeply, do they sometimes get under your skin and you have to show what you're supposed to do? You know, do all those toys really make you feel better inside? Does that fit body you see in the mirror actually give you satisfaction or do you crave more? Does my obsessive work trying to make the perfect message of being a perfect pastor really give me definition, give me a sense of fulfillment? How is all that stuff really going for you? you know, how, is it, how is it going for me? I think if we're really honest with ourselves, we can see that those, those things that are supposed to be helping help take us from ruins into riches aren't really giving us that full sense of fulfillment that we're looking for. But the thing is, we're not exactly sure how or what we're supposed to do to change that. 
We all want to make ourselves a better person. We all want to find these things to help give us definition and fulfillment and, and, and help define who we are. But if you're really honest with yourself, you're probably a little bit more of a mess than you care to admit. You find yourself, you find yourself obsessively chasing after all these things that you're hoping are going to give you some sort of rich, rich fulfillment, rich, rich life to some degree. But it always comes up just a little bit short. If we're honest with ourselves, we want to believe that our best effort is going to get us there. That whatever I do is going to get me to the top. And the same thing happens even within the Christian sense of it. We want our best efforts to get us to God. I want my best sermon to get me closer to God. But when I step away, when we step away, we actually find out that we're more loving of God than we actually want anyone to know. That we're that our lives are more of a mess than we really can do on our own. And there comes to this sort of realization that we can't do it. And that something supernatural needs to take place. And it's within this sense of, of Christ calling us into a discipleship that he says, the cross is here. I have done this. I'm, the event he was going to, now he has done The cross is that supernatural event that is taking us from doing it ourselves to saying, someone took this for me. Someone already provides me with a sense of foundation and definition. Maybe you're in a place right now where you're saying, you know, I'm not really sure how I'm supposed to love God more than anything else in this world. How am I supposed to behave comparatively to my family and friends and all this other stuff? Which is not a bad starting point. But there needs to be a realization of the fact that this isn't me sending, this isn't you sending, but this is Christ sending. This is Christ sending because he gave us love in the first place. God's love for us is the foundation of this. God said, you know what? I'm going to let go of my number one priority. I'm going to give you my son to come into this world to provide you the love and the fulfillment that you really need. I understand that you can't let go of these things in your life. That you have a really hard time letting go and trying to find that mission for other things. So I'm going to let go of my number one priority and give you my son to show you that I love you. I love you first. And the Bible is just full of images and, and, and verses that, that help us see how Christ has loved us, how God has loved us. And in the words of the church, we saw this morning from Romans, it said, while we are still sinners, while we are still chasing after our own definition, while we're still chasing our own pipe dreams to a certain degree, Christ died for us first. In the book of 1 John, it says that we can love because Christ first loved us. This hard saying of Jesus this morning that in the sense of how we hate our families, this is this is a complete impossibility if we try to do this on our own merits. We can't we can't do it. The truth of the matter is that we need to first see that Jesus comes to us. He provides the foundation. He's saying there's a better life if you accept me as the foundation. In this sense, Jesus he's not prescribing how we have to be a disciple. 
Jesus is describing what he believes we can do because he laid down his life and rose from the grave for us. He put himself on the cross. He made himself a condemned prisoner for us. He showed us love in the first place. And it's through that death and resurrection of Christ that we have this greater sense of foundation, this greater sense of fulfillment. When we spend enough time with Jesus, we're going to start to see that making him our number one priority, letting him become our number one priority, when we start tasting the sweetness that he offers through his death and resurrection, when we start to comparatively hate the other things in our lives, the sweetness of the gospel starts coming through. And that's where we find our fulfillment, our foundation. When we realize that the other things in our life that we're maybe using this foundation right now, when we realize that we don't need those things in our life, when I don't, when I don't need to have the best game job, when I don't need to write the best sermon or be the best pastor, we don't need to do all these things. When we find our fulfillment in God, those things become additional gifts. That when Christ becomes the number one priority, when we let the death and resurrection of the Son, that gospel message come into our lives, everything else becomes a gift for us. That's why Jesus says, I want to show you my love, and I believe I can describe for you a life that I believe can happen. And now all the other things will be there as a gift, additional gifts in your life. So, going back to that sour piece of hard candy that we took in the beginning, you know, we had to fight through the sour. We kind of had to get grim and bear it for just a little bit. But then the sweetness of the saying starts to come through. But like that hard piece of candy, like, it's a journey. You just don't bite into it and take it all in. This is a hard saying. It's not something you just come across easily. But like that hard piece of candy, we need to let this come into this. Let it, let it savor in our mouths. Spend some time with it. Go on the journey of becoming a disciple and letting that, that sweetness of the cross and the love of Jesus really permeate into our lives. It's definitely worth the time. Do you pray with me? Now, on this journey that we're on, we, uh, we see some of the sour. God, we ask that some of the sweetness starts to come through too. And no matter where we are on our journey, Lord, as, as we see your grace flowing up in our lives, may we start to see and taste the sweetness of the life through the death and resurrection of your son Jesus. We pray this in his name. Amen.